Turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. We went over Colossians chapter 1, part of the Christmas Advent season. And the rest of the book's good too, so we're going to finish it. It continues the same theme of Christmas, which is God with us. Uh, The birth of Jesus is bringing God into flesh for our sakes, reconciling us to him. Colossians 2 continues that by showing us the greatness of Christ, contrasting that with the emptiness of the world. And as it is a new year, has a little bit to say about what it means to move forward, make New Year's resolutions, growing. So read with me Colossians chapter 2 and verse 1. We'll read down to verse 10. This is Paul speaking. He says, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now I say this, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the Spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. As we begin the new year, we all make New Year's resolutions, and there's just this basic understanding that you need to be better than you were last year. Right? You understand that at the end of a year, you kind of realize you didn't do what you were supposed to, you weren't the kind of person you were supposed to be. And so the new year kind of gives us all a fresh start to say, I want to move forward and grow. That's what the Bible's about. As we read this passage, it's all about positive information. Christianity is positive. It's forward-looking. This is not lamenting over the past. It's saying, here's what it means to be a Christian. Look forward, move forward. Take hope. There's, there's something before you that's better than what's behind you. And so it's positive. A Christianity that, that dwells on the past is not a biblical Christianity. We look forward. It's positive. But notice what his goal here is. He says, I have a great conflict. He said, there's, there's a struggle here. I'm worried about you. There's problems I'm trying to help you. But his answer is all about the internal. He says here that you may be encouraged, that your hearts may be encouraged, not that your bank account may be encouraged, not that your family may be encouraged, but that the inward part of you may be encouraged. Christianity on this earth right now is all about the inward strength. It's about creating an inward strength, something inside of you that's strong and can make it. Your inner strength is everything in the Christian life. 
It's not your circumstances. It's not your money. It's not your relationships. It's what's inside of you. And that's what Paul is saying here. How do you build that inner strength that gets you through all the bad stuff that you're going to face, that helps you not be corrupted by the good things? See, there's an equal temptation. The bad things can bring you down and the good things can inflate you. It's the inner strength. How do we build that? How does Christianity give us something that the world doesn't give us? Something inside that can't be changed by the circumstances, that can carry us forward into the new year. This passage gives us, among many things, a very dense passage, four things. For this inner growth, there's the setting, the content, practical application, and the opposition. Or the community, where you grow, the content from which you grow, the practical results of growing, and the opposition to your growth. And all of that happens if you notice the repeated word, in Christ. In Christ, it repeats it over and over. In Christ, in Him, in Christ, in Him. That's the, that's the sphere that all of this happens. Okay, so you want to grow. You want to be better. You want to have this sort of inner fortitude. Have you ever seen someone who struggles, but you can just tell that they're stronger than the struggle? Someone who's suffering physically and their body is wasting, but there's sort of an inner strength, an inner light. Where does that come from? Look what Paul says here in the beginning. That their hearts may be encouraged, built up. Encouraged there means strengthened. Okay, that's what we want. That's the goal, that their hearts may be encouraged, that our hearts will be strong. Being knit together in love. Christianity is not about you by yourself talking to God. That's not the, that's not, that's part of it. But the main focus of Christianity is right here, being knit together in love, the community setting. Do you want to grow this year? You will grow with other people. That's how you grow. That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, you're going to be encouraged by being knit together in love. You see, human nature created by God is social. It's abnormal to be a hermit. It's abnormal to be someone who lives away from people. We understand that's not healthy. Yeah, all these stories where they're sort of like the man who lives on the hill and no one goes up there. It's never like, we want to be like that guy. There's always something wrong with it. That's natural. We understand that's why we have families, that's why we have coworkers, that's why we have social gatherings. People need people. That's from God. And that's what he's saying here. If you want to change, you have to get into a community. You have to get with other people in order to change. If you isolate yourself from the community, you will not change. Or you will not grow. You may change, but you won't grow. So the setting for growth is the community. A strong community is necessary to maintain strength. See, not just generally, but what's he talking about? He says there's a conflict. In the face of conflict, I want you to be strong. First step, get with other people. See, it's kind of a paradox, isn't it? You want to be strong on the inside, get around other people. Get around other people who will make you strong inside. So sometimes we think inner strength means being by yourself and sort of inward focus. If we just sort of close the world out, then we can build strength. But that's not the biblical way. The biblical way is to build inner strength. You get around other people and you work together. Notice the word it says knit. Here's the knitting. It's not just 
string laid next to each other. It's all woven together. That's the kind of community we're talking about. It's not just proximity to each other. You don't take a ball of yarn and like throw it into a pile and say, look at that, it's knitting. What is it? It's woven. It's built together. Showing up in the same place does not equal community. We see that in our neighborhoods. Hundreds of people live in a very close proximity and have no concept of what's going on with anybody. In the old days, your neighborhood was your community, but not anymore. That's just not the way America is anymore. So what's the answer? The answer is to find a community that's bonded together so that you can be strong inside. And how's it bonded together? Look what he says. Being knit together in love. What's the bond of Christians? What makes our group of people different than other groups? You see, there's a lot of communities out there. Some of them are good. You think of something like Alcohol's Anonymous? It's there to help you. Your school is there to help you. What's the difference between us and sort of a community gathering? It's this right here. It's love. We are knit together in love. Now, when we say love, we mean it in the biblical sense. That's important because everyone thinks they have love. Everyone understands love. But when we say love, we mean it specifically in the way that Christ showed us. You see, this whole passage is about being in Christ. So what does Christ teach us about love? So when he, Christ says, I want you to have a body of Christians, a Christian community, a community of Christ, knit together by love, what does love look like? If you ever want to know what the Bible means, the first place to start is what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? When you say, what are we, to, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to do it? You say, well, how did Jesus do it? And so when we say, how, what does a community knit together in love look like? Well, number one, it means you have to be there. That's what Christmas is. That's what Jesus did first. He showed up. We call it the incarnation. Community is incarnational. It's you and your body being there. You can't have a community knit together if you're not there. That's what Jesus showed us. He came down to earth, not for a visit. He was there. He was present. When he went to the, the wedding at Cana, he didn't stand away from everybody. He was in the middle of it. When he went to a funeral, he wept. When he went to a party, he ate. That's how community works. You're there and you participate. Amen. So when it says a community is knit together in love, when our church wants to be knit together in love, the first step is do what Jesus did. Be there. Be present. Physically and mentally. Have you ever been around people who are there but not there? If you have any sort of relationships, you know, someone's like, I'm here all the time. It's like, yeah, but you're not. Your body's here, but your mind's somewhere else. When Jesus was here, he was here body and soul. His mind was present. His emotions were present. Christians so often come to church and have, have this sort of appearance that's disconnected. There's what everyone sees, and then there's what's going on in your head. You ever felt like you have this in your head right now, you're just somewhere else? Maybe it's just me. But church is sort of like a disassociated thing. 
Like you sort of disassociate your mind from your body and you show up and you have a ritual you go through and it's autopilot and then you go home and you kind of reconnect. That will destroy a community. That will create a superficial community. It does not create a community that's knit together in love. So first of all, we're incarnational. Secondly, how did Christ love his community? He sacrificed. He gave up things for his people. When we love each other, when we're knit together in a place that will help us grow, it's all about sacrifice. For God so loved his community that he gave. Herein is the love of God known that Christ died for us. Do you feel like this community is lacking? What are you sacrificing? You see, when Jesus saw people that were not bound together, he said, I'll fix that by dying for them. So Christ's people, when they see problems, they say, I'll fix it by giving, by sacrificing. This only happens when you look to Christ first. When you see what Christ did, then you can see what you should do. Ignatius says, the fire of love is never extinguished, but will always be rekindled by the wood of the cross. Do you not feel like giving up things for other people? Do you not feel like sacrificing for this church? Don't worry, you're not the only one. No one feels like sacrificing. No one wants to give up part of themselves. So what's the answer? Love. First you see what Christ did. Then you turn and you see what you should do. If we're to have a community of love, it begins with sacrifice. But that's not all Jesus did. And sometimes we have this mindset that, well, we did it. Now what? We sacrificed. Okay, we did the sacrifice part. What's next? But look what Jesus did. When he came to this earth, he showed up and he had a group of disciples. And he told the disciples, I'm the Messiah. I'm God on earth. Follow me. And then that was the end of it, right? When you follow the story of these disciples, they're terrible. They're petty. They're bitter. They're jealous. They're manipulative. They're weak. They're constantly trying to get over on each other, undermine each other. One, one, two brothers brought their mom in to try to negotiate for them. They, they, Oppose Jesus. Peter says, Jesus, you can't do that. Can you imagine telling God in person, you're not going to do that? What does Jesus do this the whole time? He says, no, you're wrong. Let's go eat. Don't do that. Do this. Let's go eat. You're, you've been a terrible person today, Peter. You can't tell me what to do. I'm God. I'll see you tomorrow. Sacrifice doesn't end once you've done it. It's a continuous thing. If we want to have a community that's knit together in love, it's got to be an ongoing practice. It's got to happen on Sunday, and then again during the week, and then again next week, and the week after that, and the week after that. It's continuous care. Look how Jesus did it. He worked with his disciples all the time. Then he died And he didn't give up. He said, I will be with you always. He's in heaven right now working for us. Is that what we're doing with each other? Or do we say, well, I mean, I helped him last week. Last year, man, we really did that great thing. You realize that people need continuous care, constantly being cared for. You need to be constantly cared for. And a community that loves you will do that. 
But where does it begin? It begins with the individuals saying, this is my group. This is my accountability. This is my commitment. I'm here all the time. I'm continuously caring. I'm continuously sacrificing. You see how that kind of community is radical? It's radical because it requires everything from you. But it's radical because it has a model that's unheard of. That Christ, God himself, dies for his people and continues to care for them. That's what you need to grow. No other community can give you the inner strength like this community. And this community is made up of people who follow Christ. That's the setting for how we grow. But what's the content? Is it just feelings? Is it just being together? Is that it? Just our works? Look what it says here. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Christianity is not about your feelings. It's not about a philosophy. It's about hard facts. It's about content. It's about knowledge. It's about knowing what to do with that knowledge. It's objective truth. Sometimes a community builds itself around itself. And as the community changes, it just sort of moves along. There's no fixed point for it. And it evolves. And it becomes sort of inward focus. And, and it, you look at it 100 years later, and it's completely different from where it started. And given human nature, it rarely gets better. It mutates, it deforms. The Bible says, no, there's some fixed point outside of us that we look to, that keeps us focused, that keeps us from straying, that fills us with knowledge, with wisdom, that gives us something real in the face of struggle. Inner strength must have an outside source. It's a paradox again. For you to be strong inside, the strength has to come from outside of you. The Bible teaches that we don't have what we need inside of us. We're not capable. We have to have something outside of us. And that's what the Bible gives us right here. The understanding to the knowledge of the mystery. Now, what's a mystery? Something you can't figure out. Something you don't know. Now, in the Bible, a mystery is something that was hidden, something outside of you, something you don't know, that God reveals to you. That's what church is. You need something, but you don't know what it is. You ever felt like that? I need something. I don't know. It. It's something. The Bible shows you what that is. It's the knowledge of the mystery. It's the thing that you didn't know you needed being revealed to you. It's like Pac-Man. You ever played Pac-Man? You are Pac-Man or Pac Mrs. Pac-Man. Now imagine if you actually were Pac-Man, what would you see? You would see a hallway, right? And then you turn a corner. And there's bad things, you run away from them, and then you find an exit, right? My, my, some of you younger people may not know what I'm talking about. Anyway, Pac-Man's maze, and you travel around it, and there's a door, and you can go out the door. And where do you come out? Right on the other side, right back into the maze. And if you're in that game, you may think you're going to a different maze. You go through the door, and you're like, oh, a different place. 
But the player says, nope, same place. There's no perspective. There's no way of knowing what's really going on. That's our life. All we see is right in front of us. We can't see the big picture. We don't know what's... We go through doors and we think we're going to something new. We don't know. This is a long history of what's real? What's true? Are we trapped in some sort of maze that just going in circles? How would we know if we were? This is the answer. The only way you would know is if someone outside the maze came into the maze. That's what Christian community is about. It's about bringing outside knowledge to us. The prophet. Everyone understands the the role of the prophet. It's to receive knowledge from outside and bring it to the people. Christ was that prophet. He he says, to full the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom, in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. There's nothing like realizing what's going on. You've been confused, like, I just don't know what's going on. And then you sort of see it. Someone presents you with new information. They show you the map. And you're like, oh, that's a goal we look for. It's like, man, that's a, that's a treasure. What Christ is promising you here is that every single bit of knowledge and wisdom is in Christ. He's not just the highest form of knowledge. He contains all knowledge. He's not just the best thing. He's all things. And he presents it to us. Now, since Christ is the source of knowledge, look how it describes him. The riches and the treasures. Do you ever feel like that's not what you're getting? Riches, treasures, valuable, precious things that are beautiful and amazing. You ever feel like that's not it? You're like, Christianity is not like that. Here's the problems with that. If you don't see the riches and treasures of Christianity, one of two things is happening. The person giving it to you is not doing their job. The person who's studying and presenting, the teacher, the preacher, is concealing something. If this is true, that Christ is treasures, when you're bored by the preaching, it must mean the preacher is boring, not the content. That's the problem. That's what faith tells us. It's like, this is boring. It must be his fault, not God's fault. That's okay to say. Don't let a man's failure hide Christ from you. Don't let someone's lack of ability or gifts or talents hide Christ from you. That's why we go to the Bible to see who Christ is, not to a person. If you come to me for Christ, you will get bored and disillusioned. So go past me. Go to the source. Or you don't know Christ. You say, this Christian stuff, it's not true. It's boring. You see, the treasure is hid in Christ. And if you don't know Christ, you don't know the treasure. So you may be bored by Christianity because you are not of Christ. You may be bored by preaching of the word because you are of your father, the devil, not of your father, God. Now, that's hard preaching. But if it's true, you need to know that. 
If Christ has no attraction to you, if you're not marveling at what Christ has done and what Christ is, maybe you don't want Christ. Maybe you want something else. But if all knowledge and wisdom is in Christ, then what you want is destruction, is darkness. So Christ presents us a choice. He says, come to me and I'll give you everything that you want or that you should want or reject me and settle for nothing. So when you hear the Bible preached and when you read the Bible, make sure you're getting Christ's words from Christ. And if it doesn't, if it's not attractive to you, then say to God, God, I am sorry that I am a sinner. I repent of wanting something other than Christ. Save me. Forgive me. And the mystery that is revealed to us is God says, I know you're a sinner. I'll save you. But if you constantly make it about the message, I don't like the message, then you've rejected Christ. You see, Christ has the knowledge. To reject the knowledge of Christ is to reject Christ. To be bored with the knowledge of Christ is to be bored with Christ. Or maybe, here's a third option, you just can't understand it. Does that ever happen? You're like, I know this is supposed to be good if I knew what it meant. But the Bible just doesn't make sense. You know how you fix that? Go back to the first point. You get around other people who are living like Christ, who are loving each other, and you say, could you explain this to me? You see, when it's knit together in love, the community shows you what the Bible means. It helps you understand it. We're trying to figure out the Bible by ourselves. It doesn't work that way. God gave us community to help us. The Spirit of Christ is among His people. The same Spirit that wrote the Bible is among us. So get together with people and discover the treasures. If you haven't found them yet, they're there. Don't give up. And that brings us to the third point. If you believe this, if you believe in Christ, your life will look different. You see, that was the whole point of New Year's resolutions is to be a different person. But you can't be a different person until you get these first two things right. You have to be in a community, and you have to have the knowledge of Christ. Then your life will look different. You don't start with the different and go backwards. So look what he says here. Uh, verse 5, For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. That word walk right there is key. It's not arrive, it's not be, it's walk. And what is walking? One step, in front of the other, moving forward, not very fast, not very, there's nothing dramatic about walking. You notice there's not many sports that involve walking. It's boring. But what's walking do? Gets you from point A to point B. It's a direction, it's a lifestyle. That's what Christ is calling for, just Basic, we talk about in Sunday school, ordinary walking. You received Christ. So how do you walk? That's what we wonder. How do we live? What does Christianity tell us about living? He says, as you therefore have received, so walk. Well, what have we received? Notice he uses Christ's full name here. Christ Jesus the Lord. If you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk. What do those words mean? Christ. God for us, the Messiah, the anointed one who's come to save us, Jesus, a real physical human person. Jesus is a historical name. He really existed. 
He lived on this earth 2,000 years ago. See, if you don't believe Jesus was real, you can't walk in him. You can't walk after him. But then finally, the Lord. Who guides your life? Who's the controlling element in your life? Is it your family? Is it your pastor? Is it your boss? Is it you? You're not walking in Christ. You walk in Christ as Lord, which means every decision, you look to Christ. How do you know what Christ wants? He told you. What we're reading right now is God's word to us. Part of worshiping God is listening to his word. Walk in Christ as Lord. And he goes on, he says number in verse 7, rooted and built up in him. So two words there, rooted. If you know Greek or if you care, the Greek word there is in a tense that means something that happened in the past and is done. It happened one time, it's done. You see, you only get rooted in Christ once. You only turn to Christ once and are saved. Amen. You either have done it or you haven't done it. Amen. It's a one-time event. It's saying, Christ, I want you, or Christ, I don't want you. If you say, Christ, I want you, I'm, I'm a sinner, I want you, that happens. That's how you grow. At first, you accept Christ and you're rooted. But then the next word, built up, is in a different tense. It's in a tense that means ongoing action. It's a continuous thing. You see, being built never ends. New Year's resolutions are about adding to what you've already got. The Bible says this. You've already got Christ if you're a Christian. Now what? Now you add to it. But what do you add? You notice how you're grounded, you're rooted in Christ, and you're built up in him? You don't start with Christ and move on to something. You don't start with Christ and move on to morality. You start with Christ and you grow in Christ. Christ was the answer for your sins, and he's the answer for your family, and for your depression, and for your guilt, and for your sickness, and for what are you going to do with the rest of your life? The Bible is telling you, be rooted in him and be built up in him. Continue in Christ. When you see Christ, as the scripture presents him, and you walk, it has to be a lifestyle pattern, you're going to see the world and yourself truly. Remember the Pac-Man illustration? How do you know what you see is true? How do you know that your perception is right? How do you know that you're not being part of an elaborate conspiracy? You know because you see Christ, who is outside of this world, and you walk in it. You learn to live the life of Christ, who is outside of us. And that shows you who you are. But you're like, okay, what does that look like? The Bible tells us, rooted and built up in him, walking after him, established in the faith. Your trust is in him. As you've been taught, abounding in it. Are you abounding in this heavenly spiritual life? Here's the test. Abounding in it with thanksgiving. The Bible is practical. Do you complain all the time? You're not following Christ. Are you angry? Are you bitter? Are you resentful? You don't see the world for the way it is. You're trapped in the maze. All you can see is what's right in front of you. But when you walk in Christ, you take a step back. You get above the world and you say, oh, wow. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for all the stuff that you didn't give me. Thank you for not answering those prayers. I'm glad I didn't get the stuff I asked for. He said, Where, I asked God to save. I asked God to do this and he didn't do it. That's not the way of Christ. Thankfulness is the result 
of reality. Do you see the world the way it is? Are you thankful? If you're petty, if you're self-absorbed, if you're obsessed with things that aren't going your way, you've been tricked. You're under the sway of this world. You're blinded by what you see. And that's what Paul says here in this last point. He says, beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Paul is, he knows what's up in this world. He's like, look, it's not all Jesus loves everybody. It's a bunch of people trying to trick you. There are forces out there that are trying to manipulate you. I'm not much for conspiracy theories, but there are people trying to trick you. They're trying to manipulate you. They're trying to alter what you see so that you, they'll do what you want them to do. The devil is out there. The devil is real. It's a spiritual force that's trying to manipulate people. He does it by lying to them. Now, what the Bible is warning us here is it's not the devil. We've always heard this. The devil doesn't come to you with a pitchfork horns, and say, you better follow me or I'm going to get you. Right? He doesn't come to you and say, kill a bunch of people. It's never like that. The Bible says, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy. I thought philosophy was a good thing. And empty deceit. In verse 4 it says, now I say this lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. Lies don't exist by themselves. A lie by itself is easy to spot. Lies exist in systems. The government, that's a system. Lies survive in the government because there's a system around it. Lies survive in your life because you've built a system around them. And they're supported and they're hidden and they're persuasive. And they're arguments that make sense. And you're like, you know, maybe that is true. The Bible is warning us that you are going to be deceived not by a bold lie that just comes to you and says, God's not real. The sky's not blue. What are they going to say? Look at all these things. Look at them. Look at them. Look. And if all these things are true, and this is true, and this is true, then this is true. But that's not true. You see, you have to be aware that there are forces against you, and they are manipulating you or trying to, and they're using the world to do it. He says, beware. Lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world. So there's the two ways it's going to happen. It's going to use what you see and experience, the world, and it's going to use men, people. Someone's going to come to you and say, this is true. Believe me. Or they're going to say, look what you've been through. Look what you've seen. And they're going to use those two things, people's words and your experiences, and they're going to build a lie. You see how powerful lies are? A lie is as simple as believing somebody. It's believing that your experiences give you something true. Christ is warning us. He said, beware lest anyone cheat you, take you away by appealing to your experiences, by appealing to what you can see, or by asking you to believe them, and not according to Christ. How do we avoid these deceptions that can be as big as the whole world, 
How do we avoid them? We need somebody outside of this world to come into the world and tell us what's real. We don't need the preacher to give us his opinion. We don't need a wise person to teach us how to live. We need someone outside of the system to come and tell us. That's who Christ is, the anointed one, the Messiah. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. How can you trust Christ? Because he's not part of this corruption. He is God on earth. From heaven to us. Christ has heavenly spiritual, spiritual principles. How do you know them? Not from a person, not from your experiences, but from his word. Do you feel like you've been tricked by religious leaders? Do you feel like you've been tricked by Christians? You probably have. The pastor probably deceived you. The teacher probably deceived you. So what do you do now? You bypass the false teachers and you go to Christ. There's your answer. And you say, but Jesus said, but the Bible says, it says love each other. You're not loving. And you sound right, but the Bible says something different. And we pierce the darkness. We look past our experiences. My experiences tell me that God doesn't love me. Get past that. I don't see God in the world working. Get past that. That's the maze. Look to the word and see God in flesh, dying and living for us. You ever seen those videos where they take a balloon and they blow it up and then they cover it with icing? And they give to someone and say, we made a cake for you. And everything in your experience tells you that that's a real cake. It was given to you by people you trust. It looks like a cake. And in your experience, everything that's been given to you like that was a cake. So you will always try to cut the cake. And then the balloon pops and the icing goes in your face. What's the only way to know that that's not real? Something outside of your experience comes to you and says, don't do that. Don't trust those people. Don't trust your experience. Don't trust your eyes. That's what Christ does. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. All the fullness of the Godhead in Christ, and you are full from him, who is the head of all principality and power. God is not saying trust someone else. He's saying go to the source of everything. Go to the top. You can trust God. You can trust Jesus. And that's all you need. You are complete in Christ. Now, a response to that is like, I trust Christ, and I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful that we have the Word of God. I'm thankful that I don't need to trust anybody except Christ. Thankfulness is the result of trust. So this year, if your goal is not to be thankful, you can't be thankful. Your goal is to believe Jesus, and thankfulness is the result. Let's pray.